Come and dream with me. Hello and welcome to Body Warm Watch This Version Network's Premier Media Podcast. Every week we get together to talk about movies, TV, and online content. Help me answer the question. Would calling for a Star Wars reboot be the only thing that unites the Star Wars community? I'm your host, Ash Hubbley. Join me today, Dylan Blight. No. You think people would still be separated? On I ain't whether... fuck about no Star Wars reboot, so no, I'm like separated you, straight away. Like, unite everybody against it. No, people would be for it, because I'd be like, oh, thank God we finally removed the SJW element. Yeah. No, but like OG, Luke, Leia, Han. Yeah, because that... They were always They had stuff in there about wars, man. I know it's in the title, but don't put it in my <laughs> video games. <laughs> yeah. I only want wars if people actually fight. No, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah. None of this. Just that- murdering innocent people. What is this? Yeah, keep, keep your politics out of my Star Wars. Keep your wars out of my Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> All right. On today's episode, we'll be talking about what's in Watch History, going over some film news. Giving you this week's top three and giving some thumbs to trailers. Uh, Dylan, how about you kick us off and talk about Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, so obviously um, this movie is a killer made... of the Flower Moon. It's, it's Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. There's multiple. Plural. So. Okay. Yeah, plural. <laughs> um, this movie was made to shit on the Marvel Cinematic Universe and I think Martin Scorsese should go to jail because... Yeah, I think you he know. purposely made such a slow you and boring know. film to just prove, yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, that's why it's three hours long, so you get backed yeah. up, so you could yeah. shit all over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, Killers of the Flower Moon is fantastic. Uh, I like it. So it's this... Um, I think when we talked about it, the funniest thing, slight spoilers, you know how we talked about this and was like, man, this is... I think we referenced, uh, like, Watchmen and the um, uh, fucking Tulsa... Um, stuff that's like I remember brought that I mentioned that one stage during one of the trailers so you got all the Tulsa stuff that's brought up in Watchmen the TV series mm. um, it's like this is crazy like I didn't know anything about this like thing that happened in American history yep this is a similar sort of thing where you're like this is crazy I don't know how this happened in American history there's a fucking scene in this where like characters are sitting in a cinema watching news clips about Tulsa riots <laughs> and I was like wow okay <laughs> like really hitting the nail on the head with this one um yeah, so the story is basically of, it follows uh, Leonardo DiCaprio plays Ernest Burkhart, who comes home to, um, fuck, what is the um, the actual place called? Oklahoma, right, Oklahoma, sorry. Uh, but it's like the, it's all basically the Osage um, nation's land at this point, uh, more or less. But it's Oklahoma. So uh, comes home, you got Robert De Niro playing his uh, uncle, William Hale. Uh, or King, as apparently everyone calls him, King Hale. Um, and, you know, he's sort of living there and he's like, he's like, oh, lo-, he talks a lot of love about the, these, these, um, Osage and whatever else, but behind their backs, he's a little, he's a fucking snake, this dude. Um, and then you've got the other main cast member is going to be Lily Gladstone, who plays Molly Burkhart, uh, who's, uh, Osage, uh, pure, which is important. Like she comes from, because apparently the way the money is divided up, because basically the movie opens with a scene um, of them finding oil uh, on this land. And then, you know, years after 
they're really rich and they're like at the time because i i did the book right so prior to this movie come out i did listen to the the book the movie's based on the book is very different to the movie because the movie just focuses on ernest and molly and william and like this core sort of relationship where the book is more of a historical like you know like those are big players in it but like more like focuses on of elements and stuff like that a lot of the the lot more also on the the, the fbi and stuff like that so um yeah they, they 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 were like the richest people in the world at the time you know like per capita basis like the richest like one percent basically with the those age because they were put and the funny thing was and i don't think the movie points this out at all but the book did is they were pushed out of their land by you know white people and they pushed onto this piece of land that was deemed piece of shit where they pushed to and they end up finding oil there and getting super fucking rich so it's it's um, suckers but um of course then you got a bunch of white white people like womb hale who are trying to get their money somehow and the way they're trying to get this yeah the way they're trying to get the money is basically um legally quote-unquote by marriage so marriage to osage equals money will eventually flow through to them sort of thing um so ernest comes home and look i know people can discuss this as much as they like like other things but like he's he's a bit of an idiot and i think leonardo DiCaprio does a good job at sort of portraying him as an idiot because he, he is like he's he he's not a smart dude in my mind at least how he's like portrayed here and how he's talked about in the book i don't think he was a particularly bright character um he's easily twisted by um his uncle and just like gone along however he still does 100 percent participate and is uh evil in his in his own ways and manners but yeah he's a fucking idiot really but um yeah so story just follows them in like this this very long i don't know exactly how many years the movie spans but it does span like quite a, a lengthy amount of time um, as you would hope for a, a three and a half hour movie, I guess. But um, yeah, it's just a it's a terrible, terrible thing that happens. <laughs> I, I don't know how else to to put it. But the movie itself is just beautifully made. It's not, um, and I think like I was messaging, I messaged Buddy after we after I watched it the, the next because I know I saw he tweeted about it or that he was going to watch yeah. it. I messaged him the next morning and said, "What do you think?" And he was like, "Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I'm not sure if it needed to be that long or whatever." And I think I said to him, "Like, I think the point is." that and because the movie's not in the rush martin scott says he's happy to have a lot of these scenes like just sit and sink and like you know he's not in the rush to get for this movie at all but i think part of it is this was such the 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 crime and the 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 murders and the slow draining of these people from their land and destruction of them from deep within inside was done slowly over many years you know so i feel like the movie's trying to portray this this same sort of give you that same vibe it's not a fast-paced mafia movie which we know martin scott says he can do it's not a fast-paced wolf of wall street you know like we know you can know he can do a fast-paced movie if you want even if it is nearly three hours you can still make it fast-paced you know so it's a it's a purposeful decision i i think it works uh leonardo dicaprio is really really good in this um he's the most sour looking i've ever seen him like I wouldn't be surprised if he has a permanent like downturn face. Like the last hour of this movie, I'm Cold pretty sure muscle. he's just yeah. I'm pr- I'm pretty sure like yeah. I've never seen him. I think he discovered a new muscle for this his movie. <laughs> he must have learned off Robert De Niro how to pull a good like 
like downturn phase. I feel like it. So um, learning from the pro there. Uh, Lily Guidestone is fantastic as well. Um, phenomenal. The, cra- the crazy to read all these stories that she was gonna give up on acting until she got this message about or an email. I think it was from Hey Monsko says he wants to speak to you. It's like what the fuck, <laughs> you know, like sort of crazy like that. Um, beautifully shot. Um, really good score as well, mixture of stuff. It's just, I don't know, my dude, Matsuko says he's like fucking 80 whatever years old, and he just still, like, I all I know is this, I said to someone the other day, like, that's what I thought of the movie, and I sound like such an old man. <laughs> I think I just said, I was like, look, I'm just enjoying real movies while I still can, because 10 years from now, I probably don't like movies anymore. They ain't gonna be making them good anymore, because they're all gonna be fucking dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have to put on these fucking trash cgi fucking movies and whatever else like i'm just i'm just enjoying good movies while i still can uh and that's definitely (laughs) this there'll still be movies there's still a couple of directors who can who've got enough clout i got time left in christopher nolan and there's nolan and fincher and uh really well really scott still scott's on the way out what are we talking about um michael mann michael mann's making here too i guess yeah yeah, that's good. Denis Villeneuve. Denis, yeah. That's where, that's where all so, my hopes are. Yeah. That's where your hopes lie. Like Denis. Shout, shout nice. out to shout out to Dune Part Two, which was supposed to release this week. Yeah, this week. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, crazy. I don't know what to say. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic movie, and so happy I can watch it on the big screen and not just at home. I'm looking forward to rewatching it, but it's just such a beautifully photographed film with these wonderful sets and everything like that. Um, I'm, I appreciate that I actually got to see them on the on the big screen. Hmm. Was it? How was the bladder? I didn't got go to the toilet once. See, my bladder will sit the fuck still if I'm engrossed. Sometimes, if a movie even was there much like, movement in the cinema? What was the cinema like? You know, uh, quiet for most of it. But then, as I tweeted, um, on the way out, sometimes I wait. I want to for, for movies. Movies, I want to know what people are saying. Sometimes, if people crowds, I wait so I can like sort of. I want to hear what they're saying, you know? Like, I want to eavesdrop a little bit. And I'm literally walking out the doors. My, some dude turns to his friend and goes, what'd you think? And dude goes, oh, I don't know, man. It's pr- pr- pretty rough. And then the other dude says verbatim, I think it was just straight up. Oh, yeah. P- I thought it was pretty fucking boring, man. Like, I thought there'd be more action. And I was like, Lord, help me. I'm going to slap this motherfucker. <laughs> like, Do people not research the movies? I don't know. I feel like it's because the trailer just had a lot of action in it, I guess. But Did also, it? I rewatched the trailer, and I'm pretty sure the trailer just has every explosion in the whole three and a half hour movies within that one trailer. So, <laughs> like, you know, it's like. So, who's of, really at fault, is what you're saying? I don't know. Like, it's just, it's also just like, I, I've seen other complaints, like, oh, like, they could have been done more to make it exciting. I'm like, it's a what? true story. Like, yeah, it also doesn't need to be so exciting. It's actually fucking haunting that this happened. And the other fucking crazy thing is that I couldn't help but think about the way home. And I don't know if we're getting too fucking political at this point, but the 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 thing is, like, it's literally like a fucking narrative twist of like like taking away these people's. It's a fucking ethnic cleansing, like of a group of people <laughs> taking away the land, taking them away, and then the fucking the, the I don't know. It's this whole like yes, I don't know. Good, good thing. Like we just had the no vote. Not <laughs> like yeah, I just, it just you know, like there's a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to finding time to go see 
in cinemas. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad that you're actually see, able to see one of these in the cinemas, you know, because usually... Apple ones I've had some good luck with, I feel. Yeah. Most okay. of the time, yeah. I feel like the Apple ones have come, all come to us in for some reason. Apple must, yeah. All right. From that high note, let's move on to some other stuff. Okay. Over on all new Marvel cast, we talked yeah. about the first <sighs> three episodes of the latest season of Loki. Talking about my bladder not sitting still. Yeah, how many times do you go... The bathroom during Loki to sit once in that last episode. I just left it playing. I just went. <laughs> oh, wow, that's harsh. <laughs> I told yes. you that last episode was boring. I'm fucking. All right. So, what are your thoughts on this latest season of Loki? It's bad. All right. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's not great. It it's uh, obviously we're three episodes in, and it doesn't have a hell of a lot of direction. Doesn't have a lot of very memorable moments or stuff. Kihu Kwan is fantastic. Although it could just be a case of him being fantastic in everything and we're just excited to be see him. Uh but he is very delightful. Um Tom Hiddleston. I mean the acting is really good. Uh it looks pretty good. He's just kind of got nothing to say. You know? Yep. So Listen to our very short discussion of Loki's season two so far over on New Buffercast, and then we will be subjecting ourselves to the weekly episodes from here on out. So I don't listen to me complain every week; it's going to be more entertaining. So yeah, hopefully. Um, also, we didn't talk about it because you know it ended while we're away. Did it? Oh, Ahsoka so came to its conclusion. Uh, hopefully you listened to our discussion of the finale on Holocoin entries. It's been a couple of weeks. What are your overall feelings about Ahsoka? I know you're surprised they haven't, like, announced plans. That show was bad too, I've decided. Really? Yeah, that show wasn't anywhere near as bad as the first three episodes of, um, okay. <laughs> Loki, but overall, like, it's, like, if I was rating it, I'm probably, like, around a five. You know what I mean? Whoa, that is crazy to me. Like the the looking back, I'm like, cool. What what do I enjoy? I enjoy Ray Stevenson, Baylin, cool. What else do I enjoy? Dunno. And then the thing is, I don't I like Ahsoka, my favorite Star Wars character. Mm-hmm. Star show is bad. Never call me a fanboy. I'm more than willing and open to saying family was shit. Ahsoka was pretty shit. It's, yeah. I thought it was solid. Um, obviously, there were very high moments during the series, and there was a fair amount of meandering and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think there was enough there to enjoy. I think, you know, it's it's not far from the standard of Star Wars shows we've been enjoying so far. I don't think it's that far removed from The Mandalorian Season 3. No, or, it's not, but that was shit too. I mean... Is it shit just because we've had that season of Andor that everything afterwards is paled in comparison? One, season 1 of Mandalore was good on its own right. Completely different than Andor, but it had more of a that that tone I feel like the show was going to follow, which was just the, the cowboy, Ronan, hmm. soul... You know what I mean? Like, 
we had yep. that, and then the show I do definitely feel like has changed a lot since that. I don't know. I feel you know. I feel like there was a lot of fun moments. There was just a lot of stuff that it wasn't. They did not a lot, but there was a lot of stuff they didn't do. Is the, is my issue with it? There were moments that happened that I wish happened on screen and not off screen. Um, and yeah, I think the biggest disappointment is the Balin, uh, Ray Stevenson, Ray Stevenson passing. Um, which you know, they clearly had plans for him for the future. Um, and you know, they won't be fulfilled by Ray Stevenson. Sucks. The last thing he's done will be both remembered as good and bad at the same time. Sure. <laughs> All right. So yes, listen to our talks over on Holocron entries about Ahsoka. Um. All right. Uh, Dylan, you watched a documentary called "The Boys Who Killed Jamie Bulger." Yeah, it was fine. It was like on Amazon Prime. It was, I think, it was a telly movie at some point. So I wouldn't say it was like forty-five minutes. It's probably like a BBC thing or whatever. Um. Mm. I remember hearing about this one and um it was like a these two kids like lead away a, a two-year-old and then like kill him and stuff and it's like one of those stories you hear about i remember seeing the photo they had of the security security of them like uh, um william off and stuff like that but um yeah it's not like a deep dive i think it was because at the time there was a there's still court case happening and all this sort of stuff so yeah it was whatever all right uh so when i've been away i've started watching <laughs> Kim's Convenience. So this is the a Canadian sitcom uh, about some uh, Korean immigrants who run a convenience store in Toronto. I want to say off the top of my head, uh, but yeah, it's it's a fun sitcom. I I tried to watch it before because obviously it it gathered a fan base since like last few seasons, um, and of course. Uh, Stars similarly, um, so that's kind of where he got his break, I guess. Um, and more recently, who's who plays the dad? Let me take a quick look. Who's now in a bunch of stuff? Uh, Star Wars. In Star Wars, and is about to be in Avatar. Uh, uh, Paul Sun Hyung Lee. Um, but yeah, it follows this family living in Toronto, uh, Korean family who kind of you know get into awkward situations customers the dad's a cheapskate uh who doesn't want to pay for anything trying to find all these fun scams as to how to save money and that kind of stuff uh but he has a frayed relationship with his son played by simu liu who works at a car rentals place uh and he has like a love triangle kind of thing going on there and uh will they won't they thing with the the manager um and then his sister, played by Andrea Andrea Bang, uh, plays Janet, who's just, you know, she just gets herself into the most awkward situations and says a habit of saying the worst thing at the worst possible time, which would normally be too awkward for me to make me want to watch. And there have been occasions where I've kind of, like, skipped ahead. <laughs> so I, I can't do, deal with the awkwardness of the situation. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a good time, you know. I'm two seasons in. 13 episodes a season is pretty solid. Yeah. It's just good to see representation <laughs> at the very least, even though, you know, apparently there was uh, talk of there not being enough 
diversity on the writing team and that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 an enjoyable show. All right, let's move into the mandatory Netflix open the show. Uh, Dylan, you started watching the fall of the House of Usher. Two episodes in. Okay. It's fantastic. I never want to watch more because then I'll be over. And then what will I do? <laughs> okay. Like, if I keep watching, it'll end. So, so I think I'll just stop. Yeah. yeah. And every now and then I can remember it's a show when I'm sad about watching stuff like Loki. And I'm like, oh. Whew, I still God. have this. I still have this. It's fine. Uh, yeah. So Fall of House of Usher is the new Netflix series from Mike Flanagan. Um, it's basically a succession, but horror show um show starts first episode starts current day sort of thing where you've got um the dad uh it's played by uh bruce greenwood um and he's at a funeral for his last remaining family members who have died um so you you know from the start of the show though at least in the room the only remaining family members he has as the show starts are literally his current wife and granddaughter i think is all that's there in the room that's the first couple minutes of the show and then um you go for a little bit of this that whatever and then he meets up with a cop who he probably knows who's been trying to like catch him for like fraud and all those things over the years and he's like i'm finally ready like to tell my whole story and then you like you know flashback from there to like the little bit of when him and his sister are kids um his sister played by um mary mcdonald you get some of that, and then you get uh, catch up to more current day sort of stuff, which is a couple of weeks prior to that final funeral. So, um, yeah, you've got this massive family he has with different partners and stuff like that. But the show quickly sets up; it's a whole like, if you're an usher, you're an usher. Like it doesn't matter. Like you know, he treats his kids like as long as you this although some of the one of them like you, you, in them you get some infighting and stuff like that but <laughs> very quickly all the the ushers are, are separated into their different sort of like what they're about and you know like what they do in the spare time they're all shitheads like very quickly it's like these are all shithead rich fuckhead people you know like there's no really getting around that but you're you're like you're along for the ride because it's so so enjoyable um and then you've got the supernatural element introduced early which is that uh carla uh greeno uh yeah i think it's uh she plays this i don't know she is in the part in in the first episode there's a scene where um young roderick and madeline brother sister uh, go to this bar on a New Year's Eve night. They're like in their 20s, I guess, at this point. And she's there. She's like a, a, a hostess or something like that. And then skip head and here she is the same age. So like there's there's already an element of like, well, something from the sins of, you know, the family's past is catching up to their current day sort of sort of thing, like for, for, for what happened there. And there's some weird stuff with their mother and all these other elements. But just everyone who's on... All the actors are just so good. And the dialogue is just so... Like, I feel like it's a thing, like... Some people hate, like, the way, like, people like... Kevin Smith write movies or Quentin Tarantino. Like, very dialogue-heavy at times. And, like, if you, if you hate it... Um, who would be someone else? Aaron Sorkin, you know, like, very yep. dialogue-heavy and stuff. And some people, like, just that that sort of... The way he writes 
can rub you the wrong way. Mike Flanagan can get the same way. I feel over his last couple of series, he's got very dialogue heavy with stuff, and I know it rubs people the wrong way. But fuck, do I enjoy just seeing him have characters just just talk like that's 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 good shit to me. Like just having characters back and forth talk is so much, so good. Um, production value is just off the chain. It's definitely not like a it's not a horror horror series. Like he's definitely pivoted more over the last few series into this 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 genre of like it's it's undertones of horror but it's not it's not out to like jump scare you or anything like that it's out to like it's just it's spooky it's spooky with some like ki- there's some kills that happen like you go in knowing each of the, the family members are gonna die so you, you're expecting it as it as it st- starts to unravel already two episodes in but um yeah i just i'm very much loving it as i thought and i'm very much of the consideration that I'm just, I'm just not in a rush to watch it. Like, I just, I just need to watch it before the end of the year, <laughs> or like, I need to watch it over the next couple of weeks, bare minimum. <laughs> but yeah, I, but I kind of don't want to. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you have no urge to binge it. Is what I'm getting. You know? Or I'm, sa- I'm savoring out, it like. like a good bottle of wine. You know, like you know. is what I prefer. I'm letting it air. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> but so good. Like, just. I don't know, Mike Flanagan Netflix series is just some of the best shit Netflix ever has. He's like, he's been such a, a blessing for them, I swear. <laughs> it's just... Their um, show, yeah. His shows always do well. Like, you see them hit the top 10 pretty quickly and whatever else. Which is good because they're genre, you know what I mean? Like, it's 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 horror, but it's it's horror that falls within the, the mass appeal, usually, for a lot of people, mm. so... Uh, so I watched the documentary Beckham, which follows David Beckham. It's a horror story his, too, I heard. Kind of, you know. It's crazy. Yeah. It's a terrible story about a very good looking young man uh, <laughs> falls tra- victim to paparazzi yeah. uh, and marries a Spice Girl. Um, <laughs> uh, no, like as someone who, you know, enjoyed football during that time period uh, and was not a Manchester United fan, um, you know, David Beckham was obviously a name that, you know, I feel like he transcended football. Um, I think probably everybody had heard of David Beckham and had views on him. Um, and kind of Chronicles killed his kind of rise to becoming uh, probably one of the first footballers to like uh, model and like be more known for more than just playing football. Um, but also it follows his relationship with uh, Victoria well, I guess she's Victoria Beckham now. I can't remember her maiden name, but obviously one of the the Spice Girls and how that relationship was closely followed by the paparazzi and how uh, they had to deal with that. Um, and then there's a very important turning point in one of the their World Cup matches when he was playing for England, where he makes a dumb decision and kicks out at somebody. He gets red carded, um, and how the vitriol from the entire nation after that was like next level it's like you know you know i'm sure you've heard the story of how everybody kind of booed adam goods like i, I know i was i was a beckham fan i was a manchester oh fan. okay i had a manchester united jersey i had like this was when i was Be- beckham is when i was into like soccer when yes I was playing as a, like so, okay. yeah i know a lot of this stuff already yeah. yeah so obviously yeah he was pretty much booed and death threats and um like terrible terrible stuff like that kind of would not be acceptable like probably nowadays um if even like apparently there was like mail sent to him with like bullets and that kind of stuff like 
crazy, crazy stuff. Um, so yeah, kind of follows his career. Football is life. Football is life. Like to footballers, auto death to other people. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, follows his career through his years at Manchester United, then moving on from the the, the club onto like work playing at Real Madrid, and then his time playing for LA Galaxy um, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's an interesting uh, look at this person who um, you know had a very good career. Probably was never the best footballer in the world. Um, but was very highly respected and, uh, you know, very, I thought it was a very endearing, like everybody came out of it looking very good, even though, you know, reports now of like, his the rumored mistress has come out. It's like calling bullshit on a bunch of stuff in the documentary and stuff. But I think it, it makes them look quite good. Um, if that well, was, the I, was I saw that one clip online with um, Victoria or whatever, like saying about like, she got a start and she grew up poor and like whatever. <laughs> yeah. And then David just pokes his head in the room like, tell the truth. <laughs> like, yeah. you got, what car dropped you off at school in the morning? <laughs> yeah. It's a Bentley. <laughs> it's a, it's, it but. Was a Bentley. <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah. Lots of, lots of that kind of banter, which was a lot of fun. So yeah, that's on Netflix. They also watched the documentary Big Vape, The Rise and Fall of Jewel. Uh, so you're familiar, you're, you used to vape, Dylan, are you familiar with Jewel? No, nah, but a vape nice baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it follows this comp, uh, two, the two co-founders, James Monsees and Adam Bowen, who graduated from Stanford University and they had the thesis of the, you know, the university thesis was what if we could create a cigarette or a safer cigarette so that, uh, you know it doesn't have the harmful effects of tobacco. So what actually hurts you when you take a cigarette is the burning elements of tobacco. Um, so the smoke and all that, not the actual nicotine and stuff inside yeah. that. So Nicotine's if you find this addictive part. Yeah. So if they so could find caffeine. a way to, Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So if they could find a way to like, uh, you know, provide people with that nicotine hit without the burning of, the term they keep using is combustible cigarettes. Um, and the harm would, that would, you know, save a bunch of lives, like decrease lung cancer and all that kind of stuff. And like get people off uh, cigarettes. Um, so yeah, they get a bunch of uh, tech funding and they start uh, designing what they imagine will be the e-cigarettes of the future. Um it, Follows like a couple of their different, uh, their, their slow rise, like their first product doesn't really work. There's a bunch of different issues with it because like, it's really hard to make some hard to make something incredibly small with all the little things that they need to have in it. And like, uh, they would have like juices and oils in it. And then sometimes that stuff would like pour into people's mouths and that kind of stuff. And like, there was like a 2%, no, 10% like of the, every every product they made was faulty. It's like really bad. Um, and then they made it like another product called the PAX or whatever that they thought was going to be really good. But then it gets, it kind of got uh, co-opted <laughs> by marijuana users instead of tobacco users. Um, Cause it was like super easy to use to um, make, to smoke pot and that kind of stuff. Um, but then the jewel is like the, the thing that kind of uh, blew up, um, which was their, their main, uh, vaping products, um, 
but the big turning point was the initial marketing campaign for the jewel uh, was super youth orientated, not on purpose, but it was like it was very appealing to youth. And then they had like a bunch of influencers and stuff like uh, invited to events and that kind of stuff to kind of show off the jewel and that kind of stuff. Um, so the unintended consequence of that was that this uh, became very appealing to high school students and uh, younger students uh, and then kind of uh, started the vaping epidemic that happened within uh, American schools and that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a really interesting documentary. Um, obviously, it, it's a very fair documentary as well. I feel like both sides uh, of the argument about how dangerous, like, vaping and these e-cigarettes actually are and that kind of stuff is, like, um, very well argued on both sides. It's, like, uh, even just, the, like, the opening, like, preview kind of gives you a very uh, good taste of what the actual documentary is going to be like. Um, yeah, they, they don't have any interviews with the actual co-founders and that kind of stuff. They have, but and a lot of people didn't want to actually like appear on camera and stuff. Um, so they do have like a bunch of like animate animatics and like uh, cartoony like stills and that kind of stuff to like take the place. So it's like visually quite interesting to look at. Um, but yeah, I think it's really interesting. I just kind of binge watched the entire thing this morning. So um, I just it googled is, it. They're still selling them. Yeah, they're still technically for sale. Not in um, certain parts of the world, but including yeah. Australia, but well, it uh, you know they were planning to like expand elsewhere, but then the American government like mm. kind of the big thing was there was like a spate of like uh, teenagers having like lung in- injuries, like illnesses that were related back to the the jewel. Then they all vaped with jewels, so they all like it was reported. That was the news that reported out, but apparently all these people were like using uh, contraband uh, refills or whatever. Mm. Like instead of using the 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 official ones, they were using like THC THC and stuff to like Mm. counterfeit stuff. Um, But of course, none of that gets reported in the news. You know, Mm. the jewel's safe. It's it was because they were doing this dumb thing. Um, But yeah, I think really interesting documentary um, about tinfoil hat. Yeah. Big government, big companies don't like e-cigarettes doing well because a lot of them have money in cigarette companies. Tinfoil hat on. I mean, that becomes an interesting point in <laughs> as well. So, yeah, um, <laughs> you know, that's a thing. Um, but it also, it's a very much an interesting documentary of uh, testing the theory that's common in, uh, uh, in the tech world of, you know, who cares, you know, who cares if you break it, like, just make it. Mm. like break it break everything and see if you what works and that kind of stuff was like uh and how much that kind of affects when it's a health issue how that doesn't really work so yeah i would recommend checking out big vape that's fantastic a really good documentary oh it's like four episodes so it's like what's that on netflix Netflix. it's like i don't know three and a half hours probably in total Mm. um but yeah really fascinating uh, and then I also finished sex education on my break. Hmm. It's over. Uh, over. I'm somewhat satisfied. Somewhat satisfied? <laughs> yeah. Do you know? It's solid. Do you get what I mean about, like, I just feel like there's some character stories that are, like, set up and, like, it still feels like there's 
there was more you wanted from some of them. Yeah. It just kind of, you know. Like, for example, without going spoilers, like Adam, I was like, I oh, don't know, I feel like, I feel like, I, I feel like he could have had more. Yeah. You know? You know. Okay. I, I enjoyed his arc during the season, but yeah, I wish they had more. Um, I feel like it just kind of hinted at, you know, happy endings for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, pun intended for the show, but, uh, but yeah, there are some wild moments in this this season. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a you know everybody's worst fear when they're putting up a PowerPoint presentation. Mm. Uh, yeah, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> that's episode one. <laughs> that's episode one, right out the gate with the the horror inducing big old demon screen. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I I'm enjoyed it. I think it's probably I would say it's probably the the weakest of the four seasons. Oh, it's but, definitely the weakest of the four seasons, but still but still decent. enjoyable. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, check out Sex Education. Uh, now Dylan, the last two episodes of What Do You Want to Watch that people would have listened to if they listened to every week was the Building the List episodes that we did. I remember these nightmares. Yes. Yes, so as part of that, we were supposed to watch a movie each from our list of shame. Oh, I completely forgot. Did you, did, yeah, did you happen to... Right. You should have reminded me. I completely forgot. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I watched one of the movies in the new segment I want to call... It's about damn time. About damn time. It's about damn time. Oh, oh time, goddamn. Yeah, see, look, you've got a lot on your list, so even if I don't do this, didn't do it, it doesn't matter, like, just... Like, the fact you watched one is barely scratching the surface. Like, I think we equally had a lot of shameful no, movies on our no, list. No, no, my uh, no. I don't have, like, I'm like, oh, every I had, like, one or two that I'd consider shameful. Others where, like, I just hadn't watched it, but it wouldn't be shameful. You had a lot that's just straight shameful. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I watched Aliens, the really, the James Cameron-directed sequel to Ridley Scott's Alien uh, starring Sigourney Weaver. Now, I want to know, uh, out of all the things that were on your list, how did you end up at Aliens? Uh, it was the most rarely available. Which is on Disney Plus. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it was pretty high on the list, from memory. Yeah, I was just wondering how, like, you know, because it's a horror movie, man. But horror film, I mean... Yeah. It's a thriller more than horror. But... Yeah, I think this one definitely is more of an action movie than yeah. Alien was. Yeah, but still, uh, Based scary. on the fic that uh, they just end up killing a lot more aliens. Yeah. First one, there was one alien. This one, there's a bunch, but they all seem to die a fair bit. It's like, oh, why wouldn't you? Why didn't we use fire in the first one? Mm. Um, this is where all those alien colonial marines type like squad games come from. This movie, yes. So a lot of things like kind of make a lot more sense. Like, like going in, I'm like knew they like suited certain elements in this one. Like I knew there was going to be a lot more aliens. There was going to be an alien queen. There was going to be the cargo loader that I've seen in like uh, a community. Her, you bitch. bitch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I knew about Newt uh, and that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I didn't realize it was set seventy five years after the first movie. Uh, and, so that's why yeah. they did. That's why they did the the alien game they did a couple of years ago. PS four one. So that was like um, Ripley's daughter. Um, she lands on the, the original ship and everything goes looking for her. But by that time, she's frozen. So by the time she comes out of freeze in Aliens, like 75 years later, um, in canon Alien, her daughter's dead. So she never sees the daughter again. 
crazy. I didn't even realize she had a daughter. I yeah. remember. But yeah, that's super sad. Uh, but yeah, really good. Obviously, you know, high level action, lots of fun sequences, crazy, like really fantastic character designs and like worlds, like or like sets and that kind of stuff. It's aged a little bit, like some of the the ships going down and that kind of stuff. And like, uh, there's a shot of no, there's the one person like flying like the ship to pick them up. And there's an alien popped out and murdered them. And then the ship comes flying towards them. It doesn't look fantastic, but you know, for the time I'm sure it looked really good. And like the ending with stuff crashing down and Sigourney Weaver's like covering Newt. It just doesn't look very good, but um, yeah, really chance. Uh, Sigourney Weaver, badass. Like when she's going down that elevator with a bunch of guns <laughs> into the fight the alien queen. That's really cool. Um, Paul Reiser plays a fantastic uh, s- slimy piece of shit corporate asshole. Mm. More, you know, what more what do you, you think want? of Bishop? Yeah, he was good. That's uh, Michael Bean, I want to say. Off the top of my head. No. Yeah. I think it is. Yes. Yeah, because it, become, it becomes a thing now. So every movie after the first... Like, oh, no. Like, Bishop's the uh, android. That's right. It was that yeah. Not, was his, I can't remember who plays him. It's uh, Lance Herrick- Henriksen. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was really good. Because you know? so, that becomes the thing. So that, that dude, like, is just... Um, he's just Bishop in every movie now. Hmm. But that's the character. Because it's like, it's, like, modeled after the actual Bishop. You know, like, the real-life one. Hmm. It's like, he, like, makes androids versions of himself. There's some deep lore you can get into here, Ash. Yeah. So, yeah. I enjoyed it. It's good. James Cameron knows what he's doing with action movies, I guess. Uh, my question. Do I need to watch any more Aliens? Well, Aliens 3 is a controversial one. Aliens co- Cubed. Yeah, Aliens Cubed is a controversial one. Um, because this is one of those movies where there's alternate versions of the script and studio intervention. and um, This is David and- Fincher, right? Mm, David Fincher, so... Um, it falls into some. It's there's a camp that love this movie, and there's a camp that hates it. So it's very different. Um, they've even done that thing where they did an audio podcast, like redone version of it that I've listened to, like a different original script and stuff like that. I mean, I like all the alien movies. So I don't know what to tell you. Like, there's some cool cast members in it. Um, Charles Dance is in it, I think, and um, what's his call? He mm-hmm. played the Eighth Doctor. He's in it. Um, what's his name? Paul McGlan- Paul McGannon, whatever. Okay. Yeah. Paul McGann. Paul McGann, there you go. All right. Well, that's been... It's about damn time. Let's move into some film news. Uh, We've hit the 100 days mark on the actor strike. Yay! (laughs) Uh, So, yeah. It seems like, you know, after it seemed like there could potentially have been um, some ground made, uh, you know, things fell through. Uh, but it's been reported Hollywood's biggest stars offered to kick in $150 million of three years in dues to help end actor strikes stalemate. After meeting on Tuesday's Zoom call to figure out how to end an actor strike that will be stretched beyond 100 days, a group of Hollywood's biggest stars laid out SAG after his leaders a groundbreaking proposal that amounts to the town's biggest earners frame, defraying the cost to AMTP signatories by eliminating the cap on membership dues to be used to bolster health benefits and other areas that SAG after is trying to shore up. 
The offer will remove the $1 million cap of membership dues in an effort to bring a residual system to streaming. The stars have also proposed a formula that would make the lowest names on the call sheet who most need the money the first to be paid. Deadline here is that SAG after leaders brought the offer to its negotiating committee last night. Uh, uh, George Clooney is amongst the stars and said a lot of the top earners want to be part of the solution. We've offered to remove the caps on Jews, which would bring over $50 million to the union annually, well over $150 million over three years. We think it's fair of us to pay more into the union. We also are suggesting a bottom-up residual structure, meaning the top of the call sheet would be the last to collect the residuals, not the first. These negotiations will be ongoing, but we wanted to show that we're all in this together and find ways to help close the gap on actors getting paid. So yeah. Uh, good move by a lot of these big, uh, big actors uh, to try and you know help the little guys. But uh, really, the MTP should have like taken and <laughs> made a deal already. To be perfectly honest, it shouldn't be on the actors. Like, be no actors to like make cuts for themselves. Yeah. I'm like, that sounds great, but I feel like that's a that's not the the way the solution should come. Mm. You know. Like you, you're just trying to like. I understand they're trying to get it so you can get the the money the people who need it the most. Um, but I'm also like, well, maybe just set up a thing. Like maybe just give them the money and then you can, because like if you if because that doesn't change the conditions at all. Like it just you know what I mean. I mean, what it does, I guess, it just makes it more appealing for the MTP to agree to a deal. Mm. Do you know? But not one uh, that, not one that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like I feel like this is. Am I missing something? I'm like I don't. I don't. I don't feel like this helps people in the the longer run. Like like ten, twenty years from now. Well, I think yeah. <laughs> it it hurts the big stars of the future. I guess like they're not going to get the the amount of money that the current big stars who have already made that money would get. But you know, it's 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 better than nothing, and they. You know, you're not going to get those big stars of the future if they're not getting the residuals that they need for working lower on the call sheet and that kind of stuff. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 a good gesture. We'll see if it actually uh, amounts to anything. Unfortunately, um, here we go. Uh, this there's been a lot of news around the the Daredevil TV series. Hollywood Reporter said, wrote an article, Daredevil hits reset button as Marvel overhauls its TV business. Uh, launched during the pandemic with a playbook to shoot $150 million plus series with no pilots, uh, the Disney unit is undergoing growing pains and seeing the logic of traditional TV culture. It didn't take long to see the problem after Marvel Studios' Daredevil Born Again paused production in mid-June during the writer strike. Fewer than half of the series' 18 episodes have been shot there was enough for Marvel executives, including Chief Kevin Feige, to review the footage and come away with a clear-eyed assessment. The show wasn't working. So in late September, Marvel quietly let go of head writers Chris Ord and Matt Corman, and also released the directors for the remainder of the season as part of a significant creative reboot of the series, the Hollywood Reporter has learned. Uh, the studio is now on the hunt for new writers and directors for the project, which stars Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock, a blind lawyer turned superhero. Uh, the Daredevil revamp is the latest in a series of growing pains for Marvel Studio Television. Since debuting the Emmy-winning WandaVision in January 2021, the studio, which dominated the film industry in the 2010s, has released more than 50 hours of TV programming after creating a small screen division from the ground up during the pandemic. Through it all, the company skewed the traditional TV-making model. It didn't commission pilots, but instead 
instead shot entire 150 million plus seasons of TV on the fly. It didn't hire showrunners, but instead it depended on film executives to run its series. And as Marvel does for its movies, it relied on post-production and reshoots to fix what wasn't working. Even though they remain, along with the Star Wars titles, the most watched shows on Disney+, Plus, Marvel series have recently faced a number of creative challenges and cries of diminishing returns from critics and audience metrics, causing a major shift at the studio to move to make TV shows the more traditional way. Uh, I'm sure it's a dumb question based on the fact that we talked about Loki earlier in the season, uh, earlier in the show, uh, but do you think uh, Marvel learning from its mistakes now and uh, putting Daredevil on ice is a, a good move. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you should know my fucking thoughts on this. Like, yeah, I know. What yeah. Are you, what, I, I what feel like seeing if there was anything there, but Trash um, Marvel bullshit fucking. I mean, it's it's definitely been interesting, and I feel like a lot of dirty laundry has kind of come out in the last few days, where they've kind of like, uh, it's been reported that a lot of the series, like it, or Marvel projects that they wanted to do, have been announced. Like they were kind of forced to announce under the uh, previous uh, CEO because he wanted more exciting announcements for like uh, deadline day or uh, investor day and that kind of stuff. Like. Uh, Kevin Feige was kind of forced into announcing that they were making a Fantastic Four movie, uh, even though it was wasn't even close to like anything. Um, just so they could like get a big uh, buzz around their investor day or whatever. Um, and you know, a lot of these series have kind of felt rushed. Uh, to get more stuff on Disney Plus. Um, but yeah, this is promising. If they're like, oh, this is we just made a bunch of stuff. It's bad. Let's uh not release it. <laughs> it's like let's uh go back to the drawing board. Uh let's figure stuff out before we, you know, make a terrible mistake by releasing this. I don't know. But it's also interesting, you know, where are all the cries of people like, why can't we watch this? You know, it's already been shot, just let us see it. <laughs> you know? No one wants to see it. It's this. it's Batgirl all over again. That's what I'm hearing. No, people want to watch Batgirl. People want to watch Batgirl. <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, very, uh, interesting, like, obviously, what does this mean for, like, Marvel series going forward? Are we going to see anything anytime soon? I would suspect not. Um, but yeah, check out a lot of the information around Daredevil, so. Um, yeah, this is an interesting one, uh, also over at Hollywood Reporter, uh, talking about Taylor Swift, who everybody's talking about. Uh, there probably isn't a top director or star who didn't envy Taylor Swift for doing an end run around Hollywood's studio system and teaming directly with the AMC's theaters to bring a concert movie to the big screen. That way, she could be in the driver's seat versus having a studio in the distributor tell her how to market and distribute her movie. Uh, Taylor Swift, Eris Tour, is currently an, is certainly an unqualified win after opening to a record $92.8 million domestically and $123.5 million globally. Over the October 13th to 15th weekend, it was the highest grossing concert pick of all time in North America, as well as ranking as the second biggest October domestic debut, not adjusted for inflation. The questions linger as to why Eras Talk came in behind an expected $100 million opening in North America and $150 million globally, and whether it left millions on the table as a result of its unorthodox release rollout. Some point to the unusual messaging around the movie, 
such as Swift and AMC, encouraging fans to sing and dance while they watch the two-hour, 48-minute movie. There are also concerns that the independent theatre circuits were kept in the dark regarding key decisions because of the AMC's unique role as distributor and exhibitor. One thing is fairly certain, Swift and her team were the master behinds behind every move, and another given, there's bound to be sour grapes on the part of the studios who would have commanded a distribution fee of anywhere between 8% to 15%. Uh, one studio executive said, it's hard to balk at the $90 million opening. I think it's great for the industry and it's great for AMC, but there was money left on the table by not having professionals handle it. Uh, Dylan, what are your thoughts on the success or of the Taylor Swift Eras Tour film? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's got people going to cinemas, it's helped get some money back into some of these chains and around the world, so I can't really complain too much about that. Uh, it's taken up about 70% of my local cinema, so I can't complain about that, I guess. <laughs> um, you know. Like, oh, I can show Killers of the Flower Moon twice a day! <laughs> like, it's for three and a half hours and every other cinema's just played Taylor Swift, so. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah I mean, whatever. It's fucking... Do you think they left money on the table by not, like... They kind of just announced it and it, can, it, it was released reasonably quickly. Like, nah, I, I, I don't was think it, so. I don't know. Yeah, I think probably these complaints are, like, studio executives being a little grumpy. Like, uh, I, don't, I don't think this needed any of their hands involved. No, I mean, the film was already shot. Yeah. <laughs> it's Taylor Swift. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Swifties got it, you know what I mean? The Swifties got it. I'm sure they're seeing it like every day. Um, you know. Did it's you fine. see the, the, the crazy viral video of a bunch of people like, you know, so jumping around in a circle? Oh, that was a concert. I thought that was a cult gathering. Yeah. That was a concert film. Oh, uh, wow, okay. Similar in some regards. Yeah. Crazy. But yeah, Taylor Swift just keeps winning. Except when it comes to love. Uh, Here's an interesting one. Netflix, uh, according to Bloom, a Bloomberg report, uh, quoting Josh Simon, the company's vice president of community products, uh, says Netflix aims to open a network of stores offering retail, dining, and line if entertainment. The leverage is TV shows and movies. Uh, Netflix has not announced what it will be selling at the locations. It's unclear if it's DVDs or any type of physical media will be part of the inventory. Uh, the streamer plans to open the first of these two Netflix house locations in unannounced cities in the US in 2025. It hopes to expand the concept to major cities around the world thereafter. Uh, Simon's, uh, yeah, Joe Simon said to Bloomberg, we've seen how much fans love to immerse themselves in our worlds, in the world of our movies and TV shows. We've been thinking a lot about how to take that to the next level. Uh, though Disney, a major Netflix competitor, has been in the retail, dining, and live entertainment space for decades, such offerings have not been part of Netflix's core brand. The company has recently dabbled in these uh, areas. Of course, with the they've had Stranger Things uh, pop-up stores, and uh, they've had the Queen's Ball Bridgerton experience, uh, a traveling production uh, around the world and that kind of stuff. Uh, Dylan, what are your thoughts on Netflix opening a brick-and-mortar store, and how uh, amusing is that? Very amusing. Let's take a streaming service and turn it into... A, like, the pop-up things are fine, but I just think... This is... I don't know. Are they bringing back discs that you can rent from there? I don't think so. I think it's more of a... Uh, I don't know. Like, 
Planet Hollywood kind of t- sounds you buy like. Buy subscription cards from in there for a cheaper price? Like, Yeah, maybe, you know. Yeah. You know, you can eat somewhere that has a bunch of big mouth characters on the wall staring at you while you eat. I do that at yeah. home if I want. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe they've got themed stuff every month, you know, or something. Special stuff on the menu. Uh, sounds dumb to yeah. me. Did. You go in and you're not sure what is cake and what isn't cake. It's a, it's, it's a whole thing. <laughs> Still sounds dumb to me. Yeah. If if they created uh, physical stores and that was the only place to buy physical copies of Netflix shows. Sounds great to me. <laughs> sounds awesome. Give it to me. <laughs> this is the only place you can buy the Matt Flanagan shows. Make it now. <laughs> <laughs> In 4K, yeah. Uh, Collectors editions too. <laughs> <laughs> maybe exclusive. I mean that that would be cool, but yeah, I don't think that's what they're planning. But all right, I don't care. Then. It's what they should. Do. <laughs> uh, last story for this week, one that surprisingly got your interest. Almost thirty years after first appearing as an animated TV series, Gargoyles is taking flight once more. This time in live action. Two major names in the creature feature business, Gary. Dolberman and James Wan's Atomic Monster Banner, known for his collaborations on the hit Annabelle horror movies, have teamed up to remake the 90s, 1990s cartoon as a live-action series. Dolberman will write, executive, and show run the series with Atomic Monster, the company run by Wan and Michael Clear, joining the executive producing ranks. The project is described as being in early development at Disney-branded television. Uh, of course, Gargoyles was made by Walt Disney Animation, aired three seasons from 1994 to 1997. The premise involved gargoyle statues moved from a castle in Scotland to modern-day New York. Once in the Big Apple, the statues awaken from a thousand-year spell and take on the mantle of protecting the city, becoming, as the show's narration gravely said, stone by day, warriors by night. Dylan, what are your thoughts on a live-action adaptation of Gargoyles? I don't know why you keep making this comment like this story grabbed your attention for some reason. I love the Gargoyle show. I feel like Gargoyles is not this massive, like, seminal cartoon. You sure? I feel like it is reasonably niche. It's not one, I think, yeah. I don't think everybody watched Gargoyles. Gargoyles is on, Darkwing Duck was on, you know, Batman and I think more people, I think, (laughs) yeah. I think two of those are more well-known than Gargoyles, you know. Yeah, not just to diminish from gargoyles, but you know, fair enough. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm optimistic. I'm not like super think this is going to be great because, like, a live action gargoyles just sounds like trouble. Like, I, yes. I, I, I don't know, it just like it works in anima, it works in animation, it works with that style, like that, whatever else. Like, it, it's it's cool. Like, the show is cool. Um, I've very fun memories of it. I'll definitely be keen to see how this pans out across trailers and stuff like that and I'll, I'll go watch it even if it looks terrible mm. uh but yeah you know, I, I wouldn't say that a live action gargoyles has me super excited has me super interested yeah that'd be super excited yeah. yeah i have fond memories of gargoyles but you know i wasn't a super fan i can't i don't remember their names <laughs> i don't I think, remember the i think I, the plot. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say i'm like a super fan i just i basically any of those like 90s animated Batman's movie shows. I was about those. Any of those I, I was about. 
And this falls okay. in that category. Anything that's any cartoon that was set at night. Yeah, that's all Dylan. <laughs> Fucking love cartoons set at night. Yeah. <laughs> all about them. Absolutely. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see, like, how much uh, how much CGI. Okay. A lot of CGI. A lot. Yeah. A Massive lot, CGI. Yeah. Massive CGI. Gargoyles. Gargoyles, yeah. All right. Let's, look at, let's give some thumbs to trailers. Of course, you can find all the trailers we're about to talk about in the show notes below. Uh, tough, tough one. Seeing as I was away for a while, a lot of good trailers came out that you know could include under my current. You got rules, you know? yeah. I got rules. Five, five a week. Oh, it's a max. So yeah. Hopefully, these are all ones you enjoyed. Well, find out. Kicking soon. things off, American Fiction, directed by Cord Jefferson, starring Jeffrey Wright, Tracy Ellis Ross, Issa Rae, and Sterling K. Brown. Monk is a frustrated novelist who fed, who's fed up with the establishment that profits from the black entertainment that relies on tried and offensive tropes. To prove his point, he uses a pen name to write an outlandish black book of his own, a book that propels him to the heart of hypocrisy and the madness he claims to disdain. Dylan, what do you think of the trailer for American Fiction? Uh, big winner at the Toronto Film Festival, I want to say, off the top of my head. Uh, double thumbs up. Looks fantastic. Very funny. I love the, I love the the tone of this whole project. Uh, Jeffrey Wright looks so, like I've never seen him. At least I've never watched anything where he's done something like with this tone. I feel like he does the always like serious shit. Everything I've ever seen him in. So, um, yeah, I'm all about this. I think it looks great. Double thumbs up. Yeah, two thumbs up from me as well. It's it. Yeah, premiered at Toronto, won the People's Choice Award, uh, was acquired by Amazon MGM, uh. I think there or maybe it was acquired before. Um, but yeah, looks amazed, looks really fun. Uh, obviously, you know, very over the top, very, you know, tongue in cheek, that kind of stuff. Jeffrey Wright, again, like you said, kind of playing against type. Uh, yeah. Look at his resume. Not a, well, I guess he's been in, he was in asteroid city, uh, which I guess, you know, and the French Dispatch. So those are kind of a little bit more comedic, but <laughs> or lighter in tone. But uh, yeah, this looks really good. I'm excited to watch this. Uh, there is currently no Australian release date, but it's releasing in the US on December 15th. Next trailer is for Monarch Legacy of Monsters, created by Chris Black and developed by Chris Black and Matt Fraction, uh, starring Kurt Russell, White Russell, Anna Sawai. Uh, Kirstie Clemens, Ren Watabe, Mari Yamamoto, and his home, Joe Tippett, and Elisa Lasowski. Following the epic battle between Godzilla and the Mutos that leveled San Francisco and the shocking revelation that monsters are real, two siblings following in their father's footsteps uncover their family's connection to the secretive organization known as Monarch. Clues lead them into the world of monsters and ultimately down the rabbit hole to army office of to army officer Lee Shaw taking place in the 1950s and half a century later when Monarch is threatened by what Shaw knows. The dramatic saga spanning three generations reveals buried secrets, reveals buried secrets and the ways that epic earth shattering events can reverberate through our lives. Dylan, what are your thoughts on this entry in the Godzilla verse? I think it's called the Monsters Verse. The Monsters Verse. Monster Universe. Monster Universe. Yeah. Uh, Kongverse. Oh, that's 
no, you're going backwards. It's the MonsterVerse. <laughs> Um, the, the idea is to include many of the monsters in one title, so Monsterverse. Yeah. So just call it Godzilla or Kong. The Monster Mashverse. Yep, that's it. Uh, so double thumbs up for this. I I'm keen. I think it looks really uh, visually it looks fantastic for you know a lot of money in this for a TV show. Godzilla looks great. Then the trailer and everything like that. Mm. Um, focusing on Monarch is um, I'm down for that. You know the the big secret organization bad guy of the movies and stuff. The, I mean the movies I enjoy watching the movies. Don't love them. I actually I'm. I'm in the camp of the first one's fantastic and uh, what, you know, I don't know, it's not 10 out of 10, but like, I really like the first one and a lot of people hate it because not enough Godzilla. So, mm. um, but yeah, I, I, I uh, it's crazy to think. Well, this sounds like you'll be for you. Yeah. This sounds like it'll be for me. Less monsters, more people. Yeah. I give it two thumbs up as well. I think it looks really good. Um, I don't think a lot of the stuff in the description is very clear from this trailer, but um you know, I think there's enough there to get you interested. Uh, I love the idea of White Russell playing young Kurt Russell. Uh, you know, that's fun. Um, and yeah, Godzilla at the end of this trailer looks really good. <laughs> like in sand. Yeah, sand everywhere. You know. Mm. Um, but yeah, I- I'm keen to check this out. Uh, so yeah, this is releasing on Apple TV Plus from starting on November 17th. Next trailer is for The Beekeeper, directed by David Ayer, starring Jason Statham, Amy Raver Lapman, Josh Hutchinson, Bobby Nadiri, Minnie Driver, Felicia Rashad, and Jeremy Irons. Mr. Clay is a former operative of Cladenstein organization called Beekeepers. After his friend and neighbor dies by suicide after falling for a fishing scam, Mr. Clay sets out to exact revenge against the company responsible. Dylan had you heard of the beekeeper before no why would i have heard of the beekeeper before well it's a jason statham movie yeah you're a big jason statham boy you like your action movies you're david air fan no double thumbs down on this one really yeah yeah this is boring this looks bad this looks like this looks like the this looks like Every other Jason Statham movie I've ever watched. This is two thumbs up for me. I think it looks like incredibly dumb fun. Just over the top ridiculousness. <laughs> He's a beekeeper, Dylan. He's a beekeeper. But he turns out to be a crazy assassin taking out people in call centers. I mean, what more just thing can you be doing? You know? Uh, just the crazy uh, action. Just the ridiculousness of some of the situations like him walking up to a bunch of FBI agents and like it was searching for him and get into a fight, uh, him ripping off Josh Hutchinson's fingers and then attaching him to his moving car. A lot of fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Beekeeper. Give us the beekeeper franchise. Beekeeper coming to cinemas 11th of January. Next trailer, The Curse, created by Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie, starring Nathan Fielder, Benny Safdie, and Emma Stone. An alleged curse disturbs the relationship of a newly married couple as they try to convince, as they try to conceive a child while co-starring in their new home improvement show. Tillman, what do you think of the trailer for The Curse? Uh, double thumbs up. 
looks great. Can't wait. They're making fun of all these fucking bullshit wannabe influencers and stuff. And they get, give that kid fucking hundred dollars and go take it back. That is a big curse. Um, obviously, Nathan Fielder, uh, like, I don't know. Are we are we saying like he blew up with the rehearsal? I feel like that's. I think he went to another level. Went to another of level. Notoriety. Yeah. So. Um, I think that's led to this in some ways, from what at least I could read between the lines. Mm. Um, when I because I released some pictures of this before the trailer and just the, him with Emma Stone, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, but they've been <laughs> seen in public together, like Wookie. Yeah, it's like, just so weird though. Yeah. Like, but um, yeah, Benny like, Safdie, is this another season? Season two of the yeah, But then Benny Safdie with the long hair and this is also just like, yeah, so funny to me. Um, yeah, double thumbs up, King. Yeah, this two thumbs up for me as well. Uh, very weird looking, crazy. Um, yeah, Kimming cursed. I think no, I don't think anybody Nathan Fielder could pull it off. <laughs> like, oh, I meant to give you a, a I only had hundred. Like, let me come back with a twenty. Like, so awkward. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, looks like it's gonna be crazy. Uh, a lot of weird shit happening. Just the reflective house is really weird as well. Like how, you know, Emma Stone looks really good on this. So, yeah. I, I'm keen to find out what craziness these two have come up with. Uh, so, yeah. The Curse is coming to Paramount Plus on the 11th of November. Last trailer for this week. The Iron Claw, directed by Sean Durkin, starring Zac Efron, Jeremy Allen White, Harris Dickinson, Maura Turney, Holt McClenny, and Lily James. Uh, the true story of the inseparable Von Erich brothers who made history in the intensely competitive world of professional wrestling in the early 1980s through tragedy and triumph under the shadow of their domineering father and coach, the brothers seek larger-than-life immortality on the biggest stage in sports. Dylan, what do you think of this? wrestling movie oh double double thumbs up what a fucking looks great looks absolutely fantastic i'm i think zach Efron and um jeremy allen white just look so good in this um some people point out that zach Efron at the start just like he's like doing who like bouncing he's just against the ropes like doing it like a chance so i appreciate that he's like actually done some training and stuff like that so um but also for anyone who knows the von eric story um it's covered in deep in like the first or one of the first episodes of season one of um uh dark side of, dark side of the ring yeah dark side of the ring yeah. um and that's like obviously that has to be told like within a 48 minute episode but there's just this is a fucking it's a it's a, it's a big it's disaster like it is this this is gonna be a there's big, a story to tell there's a story to fucking tell here so um very keen to watch this i think the cast looks great um serious movie yeah it's it, i don't know will it get shown because it's a fucking wrestling movie but it's like it's not really about it's not about the wrestling so much as it is the people so it's, it's an interesting thing because it's a wrestling movie about wrestling but it's an a24 movie yeah it's a24 <laughs> so, movie, yeah, so. so it's like ah oh, where's it fit it stars it stars zach efron but it's got uh everybody's favorite actor at the moment jeremy allen white it's like just fills the whole spectrum, you know. And MJF's in it, so. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. This two thumbs up looks fantastic. Uh, 
Yeah. I don't know anything about the Von Erics really, other than they were family in the wrestling in the South. Uh, I don't know if I want to go in without knowing or <laughs> find out before the thing comes out. So, uh, but yeah, I'm definitely one I'm looking forward to as well. So, uh, this one is releasing on the 18th of January. So, a little while to wait. Fucking, but just quickly, Holt McCallany, so good, Miss Tyler. Okay. Well, fucking evil dad. <laughs> we, we, we hate slash love an evil dad. Yeah. Alright, let's move into this week's top three. Definitely in the top three. And in anticipation of Five Nights at Freddy's yeah, releasing in cinemas, yeah. we're doing top three scary robots. And yes, two regular episodes ago, we did do top three Robots in film, so it is slightly similar, but also different. Film was number three. This is very hard. I found I struggled a lot. Mm. I feel like I'm kind of very similar, this, but uh, number f- number three, I've, I've actually gone with Megatron. Ooh, number three, Transformers, evil villain. Anything in big, anyone in particular? Big robot, Megatron. Yeah, any film particular project? Uh, oh no, the, the original Transformers movie. Animated movie. Okay. Yeah, why not? Didn't you turn into a big gun in that one? Yep, sure did. What's more evil than a big gun? Can't argue with that. Right. My number three, Megan. You watch Megan? She's scary, dude. Yes. That was this year, believe it. That was this year? <laughs> I'm pretty sure Megan was... <laughs> <laughs> Time's a blur. No, it was last year. Thank God. Yeah, there we go. Oh, okay. But yeah, Megan, creepy little girl robot Mm. who just murders everybody. Mm. Terrifying, you know? Because we all, nobody wants to die and then have a little girl TikTok dancing over the dead body. You know, that's that's how we're all going to go these days. That's that's how we're probably going to go. That's how we're all going to go. That'll just bomb by some random people. Yeah. Uh, Dylan, what's your number two? Uh, any of the just I don't know how to word it, but I'm just gonna go with the agents from Matrix. Okay, especially the first movie because I feel like in the I'm so I'm going from the Matrix because that was in that movie they were scary. I feel yeah. like maybe they're not they're not as scary because they're not like as prevalent and it mostly just focuses on Agent Smith in the sequels. But I remember the first movie they actually felt scary, like scary robots. So. That's why I'm putting them in this category. Okay. My number two is also for the Matrix. I've gone with the Sentinels, the actual robots in the real world. Um, crazy, scary design with like all the tentacles and shits and like, uh, you know, they grab you and like murder you in the real world. It's terrifying. So yeah, it's my number two. So Dylan, what's your number one? Scary robots. T.A. <laughs> Nando's. Uh, Terminator. OG. Okay. I'm going T-1000. Which is scarier because it more unstoppable and transformable and melting through shit. Maybe again this is like a tonal thing but like because I I picked I picked that for like best robot or whatever somewhere on my list Mm. I can't remember what position but like 
I never found the sequel. I never found T2 as scary because, again, James Cameron, more of the action thriller vibe. But the first one, slower pace and everything, I did find, like, especially when I was a kid and I watched all these movies. And I watched them within, like, quick succession because that was all out at that point. Mm. I, I definitely found the first one scarier with the slower paced, like, T-800 chasing them sort of thing. See, I didn't watch the first one until much later. So the second one was always the one that was playing constantly in my house. So, uh, yeah. I feel like he was more willing to kill other people as well to get to what he wanted as well. Mm. Yeah. He was more than willing to take out innocent bystanders. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Dylan, this week, what do you want to watch? Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah? Yeah. I think it looks terrible. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, like I have no... like It's just so weird to me. This movie is such a weird project that I'm, I'm so keen. <laughs> it's just so fucking... It's just such a weird thing. I don't know. Uh, anything else? Uh... I forgot to look at TV shows. What TV shows are this week? Um, nope. No. Nah, nah yeah. fuck it. Life Our Planet Season 1. Life on Our Planet Season 1. Yeah. Okay. Go. Netflix. David Attenborough, give it to me. Watched trailer okay. the other day. Fucking beautiful. They show all these beautiful animals, stunning cinematography and, like, beautiful footage, and then they, like, cut the footage of us destroying the planet. It's great. It makes me feel terrible. Awesome, that's what I want to hear. Love that. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching Pluto, which was releasing on Netflix, uh, based on... It's an anime based on a manga based on the Astro Boy story. Um, so, yeah. It looks really good. The art style of the anime looks like it's... Oh, that's... Like, yeah, very, this. Yeah, yeah, Very true to the, the art style of the, comic, of the manga and that kind of stuff. So, looking forward to that. Uh, I'm keen to check out Dumb Money, uh, which will get a proper release this week about the GameStop stock stuff. That was going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but I'm also going to be checking out uh, The Killer this week. You can't pick more than one movie. I don't know if you made yeah. it like there's there's a one movie and a TV yeah. show thing. Like there's no, five there trailers, one movie, one TV show. Like there's only one pick. You I'm just pick. helping people know what's coming out this week. Okay, well then just make a segment where you read out what's coming out and call it the drop. Right? Stop fucking around. No, you would like that because then you would know what's coming out and you can decide. <laughs> you know, instead of me surprising you each week. <laughs> uh all right. Uh also Pain Hustlers, the seventh iteration of the, the drugs story. Uh, the seventh version of uh, the uh, Michael Keaton TV show is coming out this week as well. Oh, yeah. They keep remaking that. Yeah, it's weird. All right, let's know what you want to watch this week by going to explosion.com slash Twitter and letting us know on X or by going to explosion.com slash Discord uh, letting us know what you want to watch there. Uh, if you want to help us out here at What Do You Want to Watch, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. Leave us five stars, and you can leave five stars, or just tell people about the show. And if you've enjoyed this episode, Thor's worth a dollar, head on over to our Kofi page at explosion.com slash support. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, keep watching stuff, I guess.